privilege to welcome you to Dallas, Texas tonight to the Father's Church. And for those of you who are tuning in from other parts of this nation or in other nations, just want you to know that Texas is uh, experiencing a day of summer. <laughs> and uh, whenever that happens, it gets uh, pretty warm outside. I think it was almost 90 degrees today. But that means we turn the air conditioning on, and when people come in for the services, they're all bundled up. So it's kind of a one of those mysteries, you know? It's hot outside, bundled up inside. But wherever you are, we hope you're comfortable, and we're looking forward to being able to share from the Word this evening. So I was telling our congregation before we began, uh, I felt that throughout this day that the Lord wanted us to explore some things that are spoken of in the Bible, but that very often people don't. They either, they either read it and say, well, that's interesting, or they think that's not for me, or they think, well, maybe that's just some fanciful um, poetic expression. And, um, but, but we're going to look at some things tonight that are about heaven and are extremely more real than the world we live in in the natural. It's, a, it's an eternal place that we're, who are born again, are going to be living in throughout the thousands of years to come. And not only is heaven a place of, uh, of uh, eternal abode, but it's a, it's a functional place now for those who are intercessors. And so I felt that I needed to share for a couple of minutes about the way that God first was introducing us to insights concerning the throne and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony and that that one general area that is massive but the spirit of the lord uses us there now and um, so i pray that god will cause this to not only be insightful but that it will be uh, something that he uses to prompt us to be more faithful in our intercession than we've ever been because these are very real things they're mentioned in the bible and um, they're functional now for all of us as intercessors um in uh, 1996 when the lord began the process of um, changing this church and ch specifically changing my life and the lives of the people in our church. Um, when we first received a visitation, um, well, when we first received a visitation from the Spirit, it was early in the year, and it involved a call to fasting and a call to praying as we knew how to pray at that time. And God looked at sincerity of our hearts and our willingness to obey and respond and subsequently, by the fall, he opened a doorway for us to be impacted in a mighty way and an invitation for us to accept a calling to become saints, to become sons, to become intercessors in a way beyond, we had, beyond that which we had known an intercessor should be, could be. And um, we received a wonderful impartation of diversities of tongues and a desire to pray and to seek God 
And um, one of the things that just kind of happened was that as people were praying, we were on the floor. We, were, we weren't slain in the spirit in the way that uh, during Pentecostal upbringing we, we knew, but we were just drawn to either be on our face or to be on the floor as we prayed for hours. And we weren't on the floor because after 10 minutes we were just worn out and we wanted to lay down. We weren't on the floor because we were just in a dreamy mode hoping that God would give us rest and reveal something of his love, even though those are nice things. We were there um, pursuing him in our intercessory languages, and we knew that God was doing something dynamic through that. Now, I've testified before that um, I knew that our people were doing this. I knew that I was doing it. And as I asked the Lord what it was, he gave us an insight into his scripture that this was the biblical uh, dynamic of either shachah from the Old Testament or more readily for us in the New Covenant, proskuneo. And, um, and we studied about what proskuneo was and what it meant and uh, how God viewed it, how God looked for it. And uh, that was a benefit, and it's something that we've been privileged to be able to do since that time and to spread to intercessory groups throughout the world. And that continues to be the case. Um, but I, I want to talk about what proscuneo, where we offer proscuneo, and another factor of proscuneo that perhaps we haven't clarified in a way that God wants us to clarify now. Um, one time when I was in prayer in our sanctuary, in Proskuneo, I was aware of the fact that I no longer was in the sanctuary. Now, physically, I was. But who I am as a person, eternally, uh, my spiritual eyes were opened, and I recognized that I was at the throne of God. And I remember my first perspective of heaven in that way was from a position that would be a little bit of a distance from where the throne would be on the right-hand side. And there I could see the presence or what would be communicated as the presence of God. I didn't see a form of a figure. And I saw what I thought was an angelic being standing at what would be the right hand of the throne. And I just prayed, I continued to pray in the spirit even as I sensed this and in my spirit, I got on my knees from my prone position, and I was watching this. And I knew something about my, my mind knew, obviously, that this was unusual. I knew that wasn't something that I was dreaming of. I knew it wasn't something that I was imagining. It was as real as seeing the people in this room. And as I, was, I continued to pray uh, in my mind, or in, or in my perceptions, um, understandings began to come. They weren't in this place necessarily words that were spoken, but I recognized that I was in the, in the, in the place where the throne of God was. I also recognized that 
God was allowing me to see this in a way that I could register it. And certainly it was not to scale because the throne of the universe is massive. And um, I don't think that any of us with our human eyes would be able to look at it from a short distance and even see the expanse of it. So, but I knew that God was giving me an opportunity to, to gain a relational understanding of where things were so that he could explain in days and years to come what happened in those places. And I also recognized that the, um, the figure that I saw to the right as a, as a bright, almost like, almost like the sun, the whole figure of this um, human figure was just ablaze, was, was our Lord. And uh, that was really interesting to me. Um, I, I glanced at that time off to the right, and in the distance I could see what I recognized and knew was an altar, and there was smoke rising from it, and there was a massive building um, be just beyond that. And I stayed in that place for a little while until suddenly, without any warning, I recognized that my face was on the carpet here in the balcony of the sanctuary again. And I... I gave thanks to the Lord at that point and just continued to pray in the spirit. And over the course of the next couple of hours, the Lord began to bring verses to my memory. And uh, I got up and went over to um, one of the areas where the, uh, over in the old sound booth and got a piece of paper and started jotting things down uh, that I was sensing and things that I needed to study. And it was from that point that I recognized that um, I needed to study about the right hand and I needed to uh, look up verses about the throne and I needed to try to explore what that building was that I saw from the other side. Now at that time I didn't see any other being around the throne. I didn't see any of the living creatures. I didn't see the seven angels that are there. I didn't see the lamps. I didn't see any of that stuff and only God, God knew what I needed to see right at the beginning. And uh, from that time frame, um, we, we would have times where God would instruct me to teach on a certain thing for the congregation because I knew that if, if this was something that I was encountering, it was something that we were all doing, and it might also help people to interpret things that they were sensing. And so this, this type of thing went on for many, many months, and the elementary and the rudimentary things of our intercessory calling and what would then grow to be our understanding of diversities of tongues and the saints and sonship, um, those things began to develop and expand as only the Spirit could lead us. And so um, over the years then, um, there were many times like this when God would allow me or others in our congregation to see things in the heavens and uh, there were times when god would would ask us to would say you need to i want to do something here in the temple of the tabernacle during this time of prayer so you need to tell your people to be ready for this and we would have a function like that but it was it was because god wanted wanted to teach us but he wanted to use us and he wanted to prepare us for what actually happens there 
and to let us know that what we do here as intercessors is not just us mumbling into a carpet, but it's, it, it has a very real sense of partnership with God. And I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for the way God has led us and grateful for the way that he continues to lead us. Um, it, is, it is truly a partnership. I'm grateful that he took us Pentecostal people and energized us with a, with a further understanding of the gift of diversities of tongues. I'm grateful for that. You know, there are, there are so many people in the church today who, who, who don't speak in tongues, who don't certainly have an understanding of diversities of tongues. I was reading a book recently, and it was by a Catholic brother, and he was talking about how the, 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 the gift of tongues had died away in the Catholic church, and it was replaced by the rosary. And I thought, I, I don't even want to say what I thought. But I, I, I would say, though, that I'm grateful that God the gift that he gave to the church at its birthday is still functioning and that we have the privilege of continuing to move in diversities of tongues. So tonight, what I want to talk about is some things that God uh, built upon some things that God has shown us in the heavens and have been verified through the studies of the scripture, but perhaps go a little bit, not deeper, but to expand a little more on the meaning of certain things. So in the, in the Bible, there are three places that the scripture tells us that we actually are um, appointed by God to minister in proskuneo. And um, the first one is found in a very familiar passage, John 4, verses 20 through 24. And um, this is the story of the woman at the well and, and the multiple times where the discussion regarding worship is had between Jesus and this woman. Every one of those times is proskuneo, or laying on your face before God. And there Jesus says to this woman in John 4:23, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers or those who are functioning in proskuneo on behalf of the things that have been hidden will worship or proskuneo before the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeks for such to worship him. And he says in this passage that this is not going to be restricted to Jerusalem or to the mountain where the Samaritans worshiped, but uh, wherever God's spirit would plant somebody, wherever God's spirit would assign somebody. And... Um, not in this mountain, neither Jerusalem, but wherever the Father would, would place us. And so when we proskuneo, uh, we're, we're basically on our face, welcoming the kingdom of God, interceding before God concerning the things that he wants to do. There are touch points of the place where he assigns us. There are connecting points where we're welcoming the kingdom of God to come. But God searches for people to do this, this passage says, and it's wherever God has assigned you. So on earth, it's a touch point of proskuneo in service to God. Now, point two on your sheet speaks about people proskuneoing, angels proskuneoing, elders proskuneoing before the throne of God in heaven. Revelation 7:11 says, all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne of God on their faces and proskuneoed before God. Um, 
there are a lot of passages in the book of Revelation that talk about proskuneo before the throne of God. This is just one of them. The other place in the Bible where it says proskuneo is offered is in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. Revelation 11, 1 and 2, uh, there was given unto me, John, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood and said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that proskuneo therein. But the court that is without the temple leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So those three places where the Father assigns you, you're representing the throne, there's proskuneo going on there, and there's proskuneo going on in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. And so we need to remember that. And, and where we're, what we're going to study tonight, I just want to give you kind of a heads up of where we're going. Um, uh, well, I've never taught this before. So putting it in its place is kind of new to me. Um, let's talk about the altar, the golden altar first, and then we'll come back to what I was going to say, okay? Um, there's a golden altar, an altar where the incense of the intercession of the saints is offered. And if you were facing the throne, off to the right in the far, farther distance is the temple of the tabernacle of testimony whose walls are made of the breath of God. And before that, not equidistant before the throne and the temple of the tabernacle, but before the temple of the tabernacle of testimony is this massive altar where the fire of God burns, and upon that is, is offered the, uh, the in intercession of the saints. We're going to look at this, these passages. The first one we want to look at is actually from Isaiah 6, verses 5 through 7, and it's reminiscent of what Pastor Larry spoke two, two seminars ago on a Sunday morning. Um, he says in Isaiah 6, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Let's look at a couple other verses, and we'll come back and talk a synopsis of all of those things. Revelation 8, 2 through 5 is where I'm getting this statement about the intercession of the saints. I saw the seven angels which stood before the throne of God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunders and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, you notice here that it says incense and the prayers of the saints. In the Old Testament, the Bible says through David that the prayers, his, the prayers of the saints were as incense. Here, it, 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 it speaks of two different factors. And what I want to say about that is we studied about the ingredients of incense. We studied about, in the Old Testament, we studied about how they form 
that definition of what prayer really is in conjunction with the will of God. We've studied that. So here you have God expressing something that, that speaks of what he's wanting to accomplish, and it's mixed together with our prayers. And so that is offered up at this altar, which is right beside the walls of the breath of God for the tabernacle of testimony. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 23. Um, now, the Bible says that Jesus is the chief intercessor in heaven. And um, uh, here we see in this passage that uh, the Lord is put uh, at set at the right hand of the throne of God in the heavenly places. We've studied about that. Romans 8, 27, though, says that he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There's intercession being offered by Jesus. And um, what, what this says to me, uh, again, I've never taught this before, so these verses, I haven't weaved them all together yet. It's all here. I know it's here. I'm just kind of looking um, for the other verse that I, that I wanted to, to find, and I should have put the top ver verse from page 3 right here, so forgive me. Let's just look at that. Revelation 14, verses 13 through 20. I heard a voice from heaven say to me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is right. He that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in the sickle upon the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, what I wanted to say about this is this. Um, we're praying on earth for the kingdom of God to come. Jesus said, the kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we recognize that um, when we're praying, we're praying the will of God at the throne and we're praying for the kingdom of God to be manifested as he wants. We, we, are, we are agents of heaven here on earth. Our conversation is hev in heaven, even though we're here on earth. And what we studied about on Sunday night was that regarding the temple, which we're going to look at. I'm sorry, again, I'm sorry this is so haphazard. But I'm, I'm explaining it right now. When, when we are praying, uh, we remember that both Ezekiel and John were commanded 
to take a reed, which is a hollow tube, and to measure the walls, the altar, even what was going on, John, with those that were proscuneoing within, with that reed. The reed represents the jealousy of God, because that's what it is in the Old Testament, Kanav. It's the same word for the reed in Ezekiel. And, and that means that we have power from God, authority from God, to represent his kingdom, but our power is solely dependent upon him filling it. We have authority, we obey, but it's, it's hollow because it has to be through the power of God. It's not by our might or by our power, but by his spirit. So the reed itself and all the passages, we've studied about this in the past, they, they, in, where it's used in the New Testament from Jesus being given a reed and him smiting it on, on his head at the crucifixion and uh, John being talked about or Jesus said some people come out here and they want to see a reed blowing in the wind. Um, you, you have uh, a, a passage that speaks about how a bruised reed he will not break or a smoking flax he won't quench. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I probably should have written this before I taught on it. But, you know, the, the point is, is that when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, the will is indicated by what God wants to do from his throne. And it's indicated by that reed that is, a, is, is applied to the temple. When we pray for the kingdom to come, that is functioning from the temple because we are called to be a stelos. We're called to be a pillar in the temple of our God. And so you've got the will and the kingdom, both of those things. And the sila that's in the midst of it is the incense of the prayers of the saints. And that offers up to God. And we, everything begins, everything is initiated by a voice. This is the structure of how God laid out heaven. And that, you know, you have the reed, which is measuring and, and indicative of the jealousy of God and his authority. And you have us being called to be pillars in the temple that conduit, that stelos, that welcomes from heaven to earth. Uh, very synonymous with what Jacob saw at Bethel with that ladder uh, where Elohim is here with us and the ladder of Elohim, but the plan of God, Yahweh, in heaven looking down. So this all makes perfect symmetrical sense. It's the way heaven is structured. It fits perfectly with the way Jesus taught us to pray and all of these types of passages. So interestingly, this one that we just read in Revelation 14, at some point you see Jesus, the Son of Man, sitting on a cloud. Well, that in heaven is, has to be the incense right there where the altar is, the cloud of incense. You have a voice coming from the temple instructing him or empowering him. Nobody's going to instruct God, but, but command ye me concerning my sons, concerning the work of my hands, saying it's time to go and uh, reap the harvest of earth. And the term there to describe ripe speaks about a fruit that has served its time, but is now being withered, and, and its, its usefulness as a fruit now has been absolutely expended. And at that point, the Lord comes and he gathers that. Now, whether that's the rapture 
of his church or whether that's the, the calling to the four corners of the earth to bring home the saints, I don't know. But it's one of those or maybe both of those. The next thing that happens is a voice from under the altar saying, okay, um, well, we just read it. Another angel, oh, I'm sorry. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, fire and cried with a loud voice to this angel that came out of the temple. And here again, it says, you go and reap the harvest. This is a different word. It speaks about a fruit that is fully ripe and engorged with all of the juices. And, uh, and here they gather the cluster of what in righteous way has been put before the earth. But the purpose of seeing this is the Son of Man is on a cloud there above where that altar would be, which is predicated by our incense, our intercession, and the will of God. Um, he comes and brings about something that has expended what its intended usage was. Then, out of the temple, in conjunction with the angel of fire of the altar, another angel comes and does something phenomenal with another kind of harvest. But for us tonight, you see the partnership between this altar and the temple. This altar of incense and the Lord, whoever lives to make intercession and who's praying for the saints that they'll accomplish the will of God and who is, is, is calling out exactly what God wants to have done. And the, the, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony when all, where all of these things are continually being manifested and, and, and interceded about. I, I just think this is, is, this is a phenomenal thing. And um, to see those three things in conjunction is interesting. Some of the other things, now back on the bottom of page two, that happen at this altar. Um, Revelation 6, 9, earlier on in Revelation, it says, I saw under this altar the souls of those that were slain for the logos of God and for the testimony that they held accordingly. Now, this has to be those that throughout the Old Testament and the early part of the church had been taking their stand for God's word and who were, who either had uh, given themselves totally and uh, died uh, or, or had been martyred and killed for their testimony. But they're under this altar, which is interesting. I don't know what they're doing under there. They're not hanging around. You know, they're not biding their time. There's got to be some function on behalf of the incense of the saints. This is a massive structure. It, it is, it's incredible. And it's in conjunction with the fire of judgment and burning. I just think it's really interesting. Um, from this altar also in Revelation 9, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of man. These are the angels, we believe, that were, that were enslaved under the river Euphrates, in that area, the Tigris Euphrates, after what they did during the days of Noah. They kept not their first estate. 
and they were enslaved in chains. The point, though, is that the voice and the authority that released them was from this altar where the prayers of the saints were. So our prayers are initiating the timetable of God. Your prayers as saints are initiating the end time uh, visitation of God. And uh, really, these things that are prophesied that are going to come upon the earth. And boy, oh boy, isn't the earth getting ready for this? I mean, you, 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 the specialties of these fallen beings, almost there are, uh, through the things you see going on in the earth and the mindsets of people, they're preparing the way for them. But our, the place where our prayers are offered before God, which he inspired and which we offer here on earth, this is the touch point where that voice comes to release them. Notice it doesn't come from the throne. Notice it doesn't come from a mighty angel standing with one foot in the water and one foot uh, on the soil. This comes from the place of the altar, through the horns or through the, the touch point where authority is released from them. It's very interesting. We already read Revelation 14 on page 3, but Revelation 16, verses 5 through 7. I heard the angels of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, wast, and shall be, because you have judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For they are worthy. In other words, they have brought this upon themselves. Look what's said. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Interesting, because one angel's talking about how the people of the earth are being judged for shedding the blood of saints and prophets, and as a testimony to that, a voice from the altar where those who've given their lives for the work of the saints, those who are offering the, the prayers of the saints from there, in response to the blood of the saints and prophets being shed, it says, we're trusting God because just and true, just, uh, true and righteous are your judgments. I just think that's, I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Um, and you know the weird part about this? We're all going to be there. That's the weird part about this. Either we're on the earth praying or our life on earth is over and we're up there. So I think that's interesting. So let's look at some verses about the Temple of the Tabernacle of Testimony then, where we had an activation this past Sunday and where we've been in, as individuals in prayer and where we've had other activations. I mentioned this about the stelos. And thy kingdom come. Revelation 3, 11 through 20. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast, fast with what you have and let no man take thy crown. Boy, that is a big word right there. How many influences on this earth are trying to take your crown? It doesn't say don't let no demon take your crown. It says let no machination of man take your crown. It's up to you. It's up to you. Don't let that happen. Him that overcometh will I make a stelos in the temple of my God. He will go no more out. In other words, this is going to be once you become this, it is an ongoing thing. 
and I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which come down, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Now, um, we're going to skip ahead to Revelation 21, where this is mentioned again. And remember, the angel, um, the, the, the heavenly representative says to John, let me show you the bride of Christ. And uh, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall uh, be with them and be their God. Now, it's interesting that here in Revelation 3, at the beginning of the book to the church of Philadelphia, you see this declaration about being a stelos in the temple. And it says that, this new Jerusalem, the name of God, the name of the city, my God, which is new Jerusalem, which come down from heaven, and the new name is written on you. Revelation 21, here you see that this new Jerusalem is going to the earth, and the tabernacle of God will be with men. Uh, later on in the book, the last verse on page 5, it says that the temple eventually will be no more in heaven but the tabernacle will be in, on earth. What does that mean? Well, the tabernacle represents you going forth to see the kingdom of God come on earth. And when the kingdoms of our God become, the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our God, the tabernacle or that function of what God wanted all along will be restored to the earth. And soon after that, the temple, which is the place where all this was being negotiated and prayed for. And, you know, uh, uh, there's a verse that speaks about the Ark of the Covenant being up, the Ark of the Testament being there. That will be no more because the Lamb and, and the Lord God will be the light thereof. We'll just be communing with him and the earth will be restored to what it's supposed to be. This all makes perfect sense. It all goes hand in hand with what you've been praying and what God is wanting you to be continually faithful to pray for. I, I think that is, is, is phenomenal. There, in, in the next one um, on page 4 says, in Revelation eleven nineteen, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now, here's a passage that we've talked about before, when we've taught on voice thunders, lightnings, earthquakes. Why is the pattern changed here? Well, it's simply because of this. Um, this is the place where God's throne and his authority and his rule and the temple in heaven is. And from this place, suns and dispensations of his authority are launched as lightning. So from this place... The voices have already been being offered right outside this temple. You've got the voices that have been going. So there's no need to really say voices because that's all around. Lightnings are released. And, and from there, 
you then have new expressions of how that has affected things and you begin to commiserate in that cloud of, of thunder and, and you begin to rejoice and you begin to expand and extrapolate and uh, things, things, are, um, things are then changed and great hail would be the, <laughs> the Lord wiping away those things as a scourge that have stood against him. I think that's I think that's really that's really cool. Um, now I mentioned the read already earlier, and again I'm I'm going to have to write this and I'll put it in a form that hopefully flows. Maybe inject if I have to a few ounces of passion, but you know it'll it'll all flow. Um, you've got the read that John had in Revelation 11. We talked about that, um, but. There in 11.2, the court that is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Um, this is interesting to me because when we did the activation on Sunday night, uh, the Lord allowed, allowed me to see a few things in the temple but then the next thing he did was he took me out into this court of the Gentiles and I saw two massive angels dressed in white robes that were more what you'd see people in the fields where they would roll up their sleeves and it was more like not a dress robe but a working robe. And they were had these massive things that looked like winnowing baskets and they were with muscular arms, they were just throwing this mixture of, of, of wind and look like oil and and uh, I don't really know what it was I didn't do a chemical analysis of it but they were throwing it into the place of the profane place there is another passage in in the book of Revelation where it speaks about angels doing things to that and I feel like God is really God is really um, preparing what he's going to do in the nations now but but it's very interesting that this is this place is mentioned here and it is given to the Gentiles. It is given to the Gentile church, which is, according to the book of Acts, the tabernacle of David in this hour. In Ezekiel 40, it says something interesting. Uh, verse 3, where Ezekiel is measuring with a reed. He brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like a, the appearance of brass. A line of flax, and this is the same as linen, was in his hand, and a measuring reed, and he stood in the gate. Uh, this is interesting because this line of flax or linen is what was also attached, the plumb line, the balance of the righteousness of God, what he wants to have done. So you had in one hand this, this line of flax or linen, and in the other you have this reed of authority that Ezekiel sees either the angel or the son of God uh, holding in his hands. And I think it's interesting that in, if you take that and you recognize that this flax is the same word as linen and you go into, um, you go into the New Testament and you see in Revelation that you have the saints that are dressed in white linen and they're, they're spoken of as that being the righteousness of God so the righteous vision, we're clothed in that. David was clothed in that when he danced into Jerusalem with the ark. 
But here, this same fabric, uh, thread, is the measuring line of the judgment of God, of the, the plumb line of what God wants to do. And, and in the other hand is this reed that he's measuring. If, if our incense as saints, which is what we're clothed in, and our righteous vision in partnership with God, if our offering of incense would be indicative at this altar of this that's in the one hand of this angelic being, and the reed is on the other, I would say to you, um, we need to really cherish the fact that we're called as saints and what, what we, are, uh, we, are, we are to be. In Revelation 17, you see the overcomers from the great tribulation in verse, Re Revelation 7, verse 13. One of the elders answered, saying to me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came thee? And again, I said uh, on a number of occasions, and so often, uh, angels or elders, uh, heavenly representatives will ask you a question regarding something that they're wanting to reveal to you. And, and it's almost like it, it appeals to something that you were created to do, and that question comes to what God has put in you and what your identity should be. And they ask you something that then generates either a hunger or a response from which that revelation comes. It's very interesting. It's almost like the priming of the pump. It's almost like when Jesus would say, can you believe before he did something for them? And um, I don't know how many times over the years an angel has asked me a question or I've heard a voice ask me a question, and I don't say, thou knowest, sir, thou knowest, but they, they knew immediately that I didn't know the answer, but I was destined to know the answer, and I was created to know the answer, and it prompted a response from me that was then ready to receive the answer. That's how God moves in so many ways with us. Now, he doesn't always do that. A lot of times he'll just tell us something, thanks be for that, or we'll hear a voice, or there's some expression of that. But, but my main point tonight um, is for us to recognize this. You know, there's some other, there's some other passages. I'm just going to touch on them, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about this for the next couple minutes. The wrath of God is released in Revelation 15 from the temple. And here's that passage I mentioned, the vial into the air. Revelation 16, 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. What is this profane place? What is this place that we know is separating this temple of the tabernacle of testimony from the nations of the earth? This is all so symmetrical. It all makes perfect sense in light of where we prayed. On the far other side of the right hand of God is the sides of the north. And, and it's, it's where paradise is and where the river of God flows. On this side, where the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony is, you've got the outer court of the Gentiles, and then you've got this profane place, and then you've got the nations beyond it. The profane place is a whirling place of wind. It's, it's dusty. It, it just is almost like, a, in, in Arizona, a haboob. You know, you've got this this this. It's like storm-like, and I, 
uh, you know, the Lord kind of showed the other day of a clearer picture of what that really is. And we were talking about this on Saints Radio. Monica referenced a, uh, a vision she had concerning the sanctuary and a, a, like an angelic being of like seemed to be formatted, uh, made of sand, walked through where the Zion wall is. And immediately when she, when she referenced that, it just made sense to me that this profane place was symbolic of where the enemy was thrown down as lightning. And the dust always represents the seed of the Lord. We were created as dust. To Abram, he said, your, your, your lineage will be as the sand of the sea in number and in placement. No, no, as the sand, yes, and as the dust of the air. And um, uh, it seems to me that somehow that, that iniquitous thing that the enemy did um, is just kind of suspended there. And it's whirling around with the, un, the unrealized will of the breath of God, almost like suspended in motion, in animation. And all of the ways that God had ordained for mankind to be partnering with him on behalf of heaven on the earth are, are just kind of suspended there waiting for us, waiting for the will of God to be known. I saw something for the first time I ever saw. I'm not saying this was the only time this has happened, but for the first time I was privileged to see angels ministering something into that void. And here you have another reference, a reference in scripture to the seventh angel, speaking of the completion of the ways of God, um, tossing this vial into this place. And um, from the temple, a voice out of the temple from the throne saying it is done. Now, that's interesting. From the temple, uh, out of the temple from the throne. Isn't that interesting? Out of the temple from the throne. Why would that be? It is done. It's like what Jesus said, it is finished. Um, there was something of finality concerning this thing that had been suspended through the rebellion of the enemy. And from the intercession that went on in the temple, God says from his throne, it's done. It comes to the temple, and then the voice is reiterated out. I just think that is just, that's exciting. So the end result, as I mentioned earlier, is that there will be no temple. The tabernacle type of expression of partnership with God will be restored to the earth. You might wonder, where is the Ark of the Covenant in there? It's not in some warehouse in Washington that Indiana Jones discovered. Um, I, there, there's one thing about being in the temple. And, and again, I'm limited to what God lets me see. But it seems to me that there's a lot of insight going out to this court of the Gentiles, a lot of insight going out to, to the place where the altar is, and a lot of insight regarding where we go, separating those two places, the throne of God and, and the altar and the temple. And in fact, I've said this before, it seems that the, the, what our position of authority is, our seat seems to be 
if you were looking at the temple and the and the and the altar, um, if you were to go out from there, kind of midway between where the throne is and the altar is, we're in a place looking at the throne and looking at the altar. That's where the heavenly seat God has given us for the commission that we're doing for him is. I think that's, that has significance. But, but for us, just think about this. You as an intercessor, how valid and how important your service to God is. This structure for what you do is clearly identified in this positioning in heaven. Um, and, you know, we've got to be faithful in this. We've got, to, we've got to know that when we lay on our face before God, we are speaking the will of God, and we have the authority of that reed. And we are, we are offering incense in prayer concerning what God wants to do, and it is being ignited on the fires of his judgment at that altar. When God looks through from his throne, his, the place of his promise, to the place of a fulfillment in the temple, the selah is the altar where your incense is offered up. It's necessary for the will of God to be done and the kingdom to come. And when Jesus told his disciples to pray, when you pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, saintly is your agenda and name, your kingdom come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the Trinity. There's the triangle. There it is. That's what you do. And, and not only do you have that authority from God, you are wearing the line, the linen. You're wearing the plumb line, the righteousness of the saints. That's wonderful. And, and, and you are given the privilege of being the pillar, not a load-bearing pillar, but a stelos that transports something from heaven to earth on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus basically in that prayer tells the very pattern of heaven, the very pattern of the saints, the very pattern of prayer, the very pattern of what we're doing. I just think that's great. And, and, and I guess the thing that's making this so heightened right now is the fact that these things are beginning to manifest. The prophets spoke them. 2,000 years ago, this was written. We are living in a day where the actual release of these things that we read are mobilizing right now and are soon to be manifested. It is so important for us to value that the Father, his eyes, have searched for you to proskuneo before him. He looks for that. And, and as that happens, you are, you are a participant in the only two other places where this is offered, the throne and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. And um, we got to be faithful to that. We can't be weary in well-doing. Um, this, is, this is what you've been doing, but now God's saying, you know, you need to crisp it up. You need to, 
really gain a clearer understanding of how vital your, um, you know, you've been doing, now comes a, a, a heightened measure of revelation concerning the teaching of it. And, um, you know, and I think, too, that so much is going on on what would be the left hand of the throne, the fulfillment place in the timing of God. You know, we're commissioned as sons at the right hand of the Father. We're commissioned as saints and as sons at the right hand of the Father, on the other end of the throne. And, and there, on that side, is the, the paradise of God, where the river of the water of life is, where the tree of life is, which the saints uh, are privileged to eat of the fruit and to, to take the leaves of those trees for the healing of the nations. It's like we're equipped on that side. We're nourished. We're, we're supplied on that side for our function as sons, for our function on this earth as spiritual entities for, for God. But the other side where it's really fulfilled is in prayer because God looks for intercessors to fulfill his will. It's like on the left-hand side, is God fulfilling what he said. On the right-hand side is us serving as sons and enjoying the bounties as sons, but we still have to do the intercession. So we're right and left. We're lover and warrior. Now you might argue as to which is really the lover and warrior or whether it goes back and forth. Are you a lover in the temple or are you a warrior in the temple? It seems like there's a whole lot of warfare coming out of this temple. You know? Think about it. Send the sickle in. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. This is just burgeoning. Um, but we are instruments in the hand of our God, but we're agents of his love and we're, we're agents of his, of, of his eternal plan to partner with him as sons. So when you lay on your face to pray, don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking you're not doing anything or it doesn't matter whether you're proskuneoing. That's, that's crazy. And we shouldn't buy into that banana in the tailpipe. We shouldn't buy into that foolishness because it's a lie. What we need to do is recognize that our Father has positioned us where we are. And we've been given the privilege of understanding to whatever degree we do that we're laying on our face. We're utilizing this grace gift of diversities of tongues. We're hearing from God. We're interpreting through the anointing of the Spirit the things that he wants us to interpret through those. And through that, then, we are building, we're being given the privilege to, to establish the building blocks of the doctrines that God wants his people to be moving in. And, and when you're praying there, you're also aligned with the throne, whether you ever see it or not. Don't let the enemy do that. Well, I didn't see anything. God must not love me. Let me ask you this. When your sins, when you ask Jesus to forgive, God to forgive you of your sins through the power of the blood of Jesus, and your sins were washed away, did you see that? Some of you might have, but I never did. Now I'm sitting over there, well, I didn't see anything. I didn't see it, so it must not have happened. None of us do that. 
None of us do that. But God gives us the opportunity to have insight concerning things that expand upon the truths of his word. I'm grateful that he showed these things because as he showed them, these scriptures all fit their place. They fit perfectly. It's not made up. It's not a story. It's not a Greek mystery. This is what God's doing. And you are in the middle of it. I would dare say that you're one of the few that he has chosen to give this insight of his scripture to. So we've got to be faithful. We, we've got to be faithful. And because it's so important. It's so very important. And remember, and I end with this. You're proskuneoing. The eyes of the Lord have seen you and called you there. He's with you. You are speaking his will from his throne. You are welcoming his kingdom from his temple. And your prayers are in that great seal of place in heaven, being offered up on the fires of judgment and burning before God. Don't forget that. Because it is more real than anything you're going to do tonight on this earth. Anything you're going to do tomorrow and the appointments you have. This is eternal. This is divine. And this is from your heavenly Father. Amen? Father, thank you for your goodness. And thank you for <laughs> these saints who let me take this pile of verses and spin them around. Hopefully, Lord, they make sense to everybody and they're not providing confusion. Use us in these ways. It's, it's not how I present it necessarily, even though that's important. But it, this is your word. This is your scripture. I didn't twist any of it. I didn't try to force its roundness into a square hole, a square peg. Lord, this is yours. So let your word come alive in us. Use these intercessors in a way that's beyond anything we've been entrusted to do for you at any time in our past. Let us fulfill your identity in us and what you created us to be and to do. And we thank you for this, Father. Let us be faithful for the time is short. We love you and thank you for this privilege. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And um, have a great night. <laughs>